This morning is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Let me invite you to find that in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, talking about what we build our life upon. I can't think of a more appropriate, more fitting passage. He's the cornerstone of our life. He is to be the cornerstone in the church. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Again, incredibly appropriate as we enter a new year, as we enter a new decade. We want to be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ all of our days. Pray that the power of God's Word, the conviction of the Spirit, would come through this truth this morning. And it would powerfully affect us as we see what is foundational in our life. It is foundational in our church. Please give attention to the Word of God. Today, Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 18, or actually verse 19, to get the context. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, the scripture says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I've mentioned to you many times the ministry of Charles Spurgeon, uh, a man who was amazingly used by God uh, in the 1800s to reach many people with the gospel, uh, to bring about sanctification, edification, training uh, of many Christians, uh, many young men. I read this morning about how the Charles Spurgeon and his ministry led to the planting of over 20 churches uh, around London, just an amazing impact he had. And when it was time for their church to build a new facility, uh, to have more seating so more people could come and hear the gospel and more Christians could gather and be discipled under this man that God was using in such a profound way, they built a church they called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, The facade is still there in England today. It's burned twice. It was bombed in World War II. But the facade is still there, and it's still in the same location today. But I find the, the very first sermon Spurgeon preached in that place, essentially, I think, gives good insight in, into one of the reasons why he was so used by God. He had an incredible emphasis on Jesus Christ. Listen to the first paragraph of the first sermon he preached. Let me, ver- let me read the text of Scripture it was based on first, Acts 5.42. Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's the text Spurgeon used as the sermon for the first sermon that would be preached in that building. Here's what he said in his sermon. It appears that the one subject upon which men preached in the apostolic age was Jesus Christ. The tendency of man if left alone, is continually to go further and further from God. And the church of God itself is no exception to this general rule. For the first few years, during and after the apostolic era, Christ Jesus was preached. But gradually the church departed from the central point and began rather to preach ceremonials and church offices than the person of their Lord. So has it been in these modern times. We also have fallen into the same error at least to a degree. We have gone from preaching Christ to preaching doctrines about Christ. Inferences, which may be drawn from his life, 
or definitions which may be gathered from his discourses. We are not content to stand like angels in the sun. Our fancies disturb our rest and must needs fly on the sunbeams, rather further and further from the glorious source of light. I would propose, and oh may the Lord grant us grace to carry out that proposition from which no Christian can dissent, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. This is what we see Paul saying about the church here. We pick it up in Ephesians 2, where Paul the Apostle is talking about a metaphor for the church. And the metaphor is the church is the household of God. The church is a spiritual institution. And in explaining these spiritual truths, people like Paul the Apostle relate it to things in life that we would be familiar with, like a household, the, the building of a house. And in this case, the house has a foundation. The foundation is the, the, the apostles and the prophets, which I made the case last time that he's referring there to what they wrote, that the foundation of this house is the word of God, what the apostles preached, what they wrote. And there's a cornerstone, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. This imagery of the cornerstone refers to the first stone that was laid, that in that day and time when they would build a, a building, that finding the cornerstone was one of the most important tasks. In fact, there's, there's stories from the ancient world about builders and architects going on long adventures looking for the right stone to set as the cornerstone of this new building that they would build because they wanted it to last. But the cornerstone would essentially set the standard for the rest of the building. The cornerstone, the way it functioned, it would support a bulk of the weight of the building. It was the cornerstone that would give stability and lasting longevity to the building. And that's what this analogy to Christ points to. It points to him essentially as the most important stone. It's just so fundamental when we think about the church. He's the most important. It, he is the most important facet, aspect, reality in the church. It's the centrality of Jesus Christ in the church. Paul didn't just make up this analogy. He got it from the Old Testament. Let me show you where it comes from. It comes from Isaiah 28 and verse 16, which says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a testing stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And that, that passage is in the context, like so much of the prophets, of the reality of judgment coming from God. You know, these prophetic books in the Old Testament, a recurring theme is the fact that God's people have sinned and God's judgment is coming upon them. But there's also this message of hope. And that's this case here in Isaiah chapter 28. The hope would be in this cornerstone. The hope for dealing with the disobedience of God's people in the future is the cornerstone. And we know that cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Let's look again at the scripture reading we had this morning from 1 Peter. Here you get Peter's interpretation of this idea and this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 4. He's, he's talking about the church like Paul is in Ephesians 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a 
cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see there in Ephesians, you see it in Isaiah, you see it in Peter. The emphasis on Christ as the most important stone. You also see in Isaiah and in Peter the emphasis on faith. The emphasis on believing in this stone. Trusting in this one as the foundation of your life. To be central in the church. Well, thinking about this analogy, this important analogy, this foundational image an understanding of Jesus Christ as central in the church, how should that affect us? How should that affect how we think about the church and the Christian life? Well, several ways. First of all, one of the things we see in the book of Ephesians is the centrality of Jesus Christ in the purposes of God. As the cornerstone is central, as it's foundational, as it's essential to the building, you see in the book of Ephesians, Jesus Christ is at the center and at the heart of God's purposes for his working in the world. You see it in Ephesians chapter 1. It's according to the, the grace and the purpose of God. The grace and the purpose of God. The grace and the purpose of God. And at the heart of that is in Christ. This is who you are before God as a Christian. You are in Christ. He is the cornerstone of our faith and of the church. Look at what he says in the conclusion of Ephesians 1 in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet. That's he, that's God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus Christ, under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. He's head over all things. He is the source and he is the authority over all things. And he's given by God to the church. He is central in God's plan and God's working. He's also central in God's word. You simply cannot rightly understand the word of God apart from the cornerstone. He's essential to understanding rightly what God is doing and what God has revealed. Listen to how Paul the Apostle sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says to the Corinthians, All the promises of God find their yes in him. What a statement. What a statement. The promises of God in the Old Testament find their yes, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus meant when he was teaching his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. When he's essentially interacting with the religious system of the Pharisees that they've grown up under, that they understand, that they've been part of. And in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, Jesus cuts to the heart of that and explains his place and his role by saying, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. He's the fulfillment. He's the cornerstone. He's the most important aspect of the reality of God's working and God's plans. This is why it's impossible to understand God rightly or God's working apart from understanding Jesus as central in his plans. You see why this is so important for us today and in 2020. You've got to have the right foundation. You've got to build on the right cornerstone. It's utterly foundational for us as a church. And remembering like Spurgeon called us to and like the Bible calls us to, to keep Christ and the gospel central. Another way he's central that we see all through scripture. The one other way that he functions as the cornerstone is that Jesus Christ is central in our salvation. When we think about our experience as Christians and our life, at the heart of our relationship to God is being saved. Saved from God's wrath. Made one of his children. And at the heart of that is in Christ alone. Through Jesus Christ. This is what Peter preached to the Jews in Acts chapter 4. 
when he said, this Jesus is the stone that the builders, that was rejected by you, the builders, which, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The salvation is in Christ alone. Now, most in our age chafe at that notion that God saves people in and through Christ alone. Friends, this just, this just corresponds with what Jesus taught. This isn't just some Baptist, narrow-minded doctrine. Jesus, the Lord whom we're following, says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart through me. He is the door for the sheep. So this idea of salvation in Christ alone is in the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's, it's foreseen in the Old Testament. It's clearly expressed in the New Testament. Let me just encourage you as a Christian living in an age that chafes at the truth of God. Don't you as a Christian be tempted to chafe at what God says. Even something that's so out of step with our age and our world and contemporary thinking as the fact that one must come to God through Jesus alone. This is why only Jesus died as the sin bearer. It's the one to bring us to God. Don't chafe at the things God says, even though the world and your flesh tempt you to do that. Trust what Jesus said. Trust in God. Make him the cornerstone of your life. This is the cornerstone of Paul's ministry and the apostles' ministry. When Paul comes to the torn up, broken church of Corinth, and he, he says to these divided believers in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's the most important thing you need to know about Paul. That's his message. That's the message preeminently and primarily of the apostles. It should be central in our teaching as the church. The word of the Lord, Jesus Christ. You should always hear preachers and teachers in the church pointing to Jesus Christ, referencing him, recognizing him. Let me take you back to Acts 19, which is especially appropriate because it's the context of Ephesus. It's the beginnings of the church of the Ephesians. You know how the church begins. Friends, churches begin with the proclamation of the gospel, people being converted by the power of God, being brought into the people of God, and a church forms where these believers now regularly meet together and hear the word of God and are discipled to follow Jesus Christ. That's what a church is. It's a, it's a gathering together of the, the people of Jesus Christ to be discipled, to, to learn from him, to be mutually encouraged by one another. Look at how this happened in Ephesus in Acts 19. And notice what Paul's message is. Acts 19, beginning in verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Notice what they heard. They heard the word of the Lord. That's what the church should be proclaiming. Away with these meetings on Sunday where they don't proclaim Christ. Later in that chapter in Acts 19.20, Here's Luke's summary. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That's what we want to see in our area. That's what we want to see in our church. We want to see it's the word of the Lord 
It's the teachings of Jesus Christ, preeminently and primarily the gospel, prevailing, increasing in our midst. That should be central to our teaching in the church. It's central to our unity. And now we'll confine ourselves to the book of Ephesians primarily. And I want to show you how Jesus functions as cornerstone in the church and for the church. Look at Ephesians 4 and 13. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. There, the idea of, of the church being built up, it's coming to unity. Unity being one of the themes in the book of Ephesians. What is the unity in? The unity is in the fullness of Christ. The unity is in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That's what determines our unity and drives it. It's in Him. It's an old illustration, an example of a, of a person who tunes pianos, and he uses a, a tuning fork. And if the musician, if the, the tuner of the piano uses the same tuning fork to tune multiple pianos, they'll all sound the same. For the church, the tuning fork is Jesus Christ. He's what gives us our sound, our identity. And if our identity and our sound is in Christ... That's where our similarity and our unity is found. It's found in the the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. He's central in our unity. He's also central in our worship. When we come together, what do we say? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Addressing one another. Friends, there's just an example of how... built into the fabric of the Christian life is the one another reality. You're not living the Christian life merely as an individual. It's one another. And we're to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all our heart. Notice it's to the Lord, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do it for Him, to Him, and through Him. Jesus Christ, central in all of that. This is why the songs aren't about what I like or what I want to sing or what I'm used to singing. It's about Christ. It's about singing to God in His name. That should be central in our worship and how we think about worship. He's the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of all we do and believe in the church. He's the most important building block of our foundation. He's also central in our understanding of church growth. There's been a lot said about church growth in the last 30 years. It's a particularly popular subject among Baptists. But here in Ephesians chapter 2, in this very analogy of Jesus as the cornerstone, you see, I think, an an incredibly important passage about how we should think about church growth. Look at it in Ephesians 2. We'll just start in verse 20. And then move on to 21 and 22. The household of God, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's... Christ as the cornerstone of church growth. Notice it in verse 21. In whom the whole structure, 
being joined together grows. It's in him. It's in him. This is why church growth apart from him is not really church growth. It's in him. And then look at the end of it, which we'll explore in depth next week, Lord willing, at the end of verse 22. How does this happen? You're built by the Spirit. It's a spiritual work. This is why spiritual work must be undertaken and carried out by spiritual means. If the church is God's building, it must be built God's way. Christ is the cornerstone. It's fundamental. He's essential to right church growth. He is essential to real church growth. It's helpful when we think about the things that come and go. Thinking about and recognizing Christ as the cornerstone, the essential building in the church, the, the essential block in the building of the church. There's, there's, there's things in our experience as Christians that we have to let go. There's things that we hold too tightly, like Christ, like the gospel, and there's other things that we let go. Knowing this helps us understand what things we must hold too tightly and what things that we must let go. And this is why any connection to a, any kind of a program which can have its place and be useful for a time. But if it doesn't recognize Christ as the cornerstone or as the foundation, it's ultimately going to fail. We must always build on Christ. One of the ways, one of the new ways we're trying to do that here is through our home fellowships. That, that essentially we see in the scripture Christians should fellowship, Christians should pray together. So this is just an outlet that, that we are, have brought into our church Every other week, I believe it is, or maybe the second and fourth Wednesday. Thank you, first and third. Don't look to me for dates or numbers. Talk to David about that. Look at your email or call the church. We have this time where we gather together, and we have fellowship, which is good, encouraging. We have a meal together. We have Bible study. We talk about the sermon. Like, you listen to the sermon, there's always questions. What did he mean by this? There's also, guess what? Every sermon has errors because the person who's preaching is errant. So you might need some clarifications. What did he mean here? Does this really apply? So we have teaching and then we have prayer together. If you're not involved in a home fellowship, let me encourage you to, to consider that. The hope is in that Christ will be the cornerstone. I think this idea about Christ being the cornerstone is also the best explanation to why God used Billy Graham. I, I think regardless, there's, and there's, Billy Graham obviously has his critics. I'm critical of him for some things. You know, I'm critical of everybody. It's a terrible curse. But I, I think there's no denying God sovereignly used Billy Graham in an amazing way. He had strong convictions about the Word of God. But again, I think at the heart of the reason why God used him in such a profound way was his message was simply about Jesus Christ. When he preached, he preached Christ. And it was clear. It was clear that he was calling people to repent of their sin and trust Jesus as the way to God and for the forgiveness of sins. And here you see a historical example of a man who preached to more people around the world than anybody ever has in history. And preaching the gospel. And the gospel is powerful. It's powerful to bring about conver conversion. At the heart of it is Christ being the cornerstone. I think another 
important piece of this analogy of, the Christ, of Christ being the cornerstone, Christ himself being the cornerstone of the church, is not only its centrality, that's the main idea, that Jesus Christ is the most important block in our building, but also the stability it brings. This is a, a big part of the analogy in the ancient world of what a cornerstone does. He brings stability. It, or maybe think in terms of survival. I mean, how does the church survive? It survives with Christ as the cornerstone. How do you find stability? What is your stability? It's got to be Christ giving you that stability that we need. And the reality is, part of life here in the world is it's full of changes and challenges. Changes and challenges. New ones await us in 2020 and beyond. New ones await us maybe even today. How do you figure that out? How do you deal with the changes in life? I mean, we in, in our families and in our church, we see the transitions in life that take place. That are All the transitions are challenging, right? From being a toddler to grade school to middle school to high school. Those that go to college or the military or enter the workforce, those are big transitions. Then the, those that essentially move on to the next phase of their life. See a lot of, a lot of our students go to college, they graduate, they come back, they enter into work. Those are hard. How do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? As a parent, how do you deal with that as the student who goes through it? You need Christ as your cornerstone. Here's the great cornerstone that you need in your life more than anything else. Jesus Christ. His teaching. His way. It won't ever lead you astray. Here's a solid foundation for your life wherever you're at. Whether you're like me in your 40s. And you know what I learned this year? Just a new thing. I can't look down and read anymore out of my glasses. So I, I needed an older person in the church to explain to me, what is going on here? I can see now? I can't see now. Why? This, what is this change? Reading is a big part of my life. I've got to be able to read. Help me. Help me, older man. Expl understand this. There's changes. That's a silly one. That's a silly one. But for any of them that we face, we need Christ as a foundation, as a sure footing. Let me just give you two examples from Ephesians. The first one we're not going to look at in detail. You know about it in Ephesians 5, marriage. The most important relationship between a man and woman on planet Earth, marriage. Who's got that figured out? Don't we need help with that? Maybe if you're not married yet, preparing for it. If you are married, living it according to Christ for the glory of God. Ephesians 5. Christ is the corner. You have, if you don't understand about marriage that it's ultimately and fundamentally about Christ and that it's more about Jesus Christ than it is about you, you're going to have lots, of, lots more struggles than you need to. But rather, if you can go into marriage recognizing my responsibility to my wife or husband reflects something very important about Jesus Christ, that'll help you get through the hard times in a way that just some psychological tidbit won't. It reflects Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of our marriage. What about our perseverance? This is a big part of the Christian life. Enduring. Temptations to sin. Struggles in life. Changes in life. 
Perseverance. The, the end of the book of Ephesians is about perseverance. And it starts in Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. There's the, there's the keystone to perseverance. Strength not in me, strength in him. From him, through him, by him. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It's not about my strength. I've got, I've got to have his strength to endure, to persevere, to continue. That's stability. And we need it. Praise God we've got the Bible to teach us about it. On the, the, the side of recognizing Christ as cornerstone, living it out, reaching out to those around us, you understand most of the people in the world don't understand or recognize the most important reality in life. If Jesus Christ is the head of all, if he is the cornerstone, this is the most important piece of wisdom in life. And, and how many people understand that? Most don't. In fact, almost nobody does. But you do. If you believe the word of God, Christ is the cornerstone. Talk about changes. People in, our, in, in America, in our context, people in our context deny the reality of gender. If there ever was something binary, it's gender. One would think... Or one would know that's denied in our context and and in the church even even among people kind of in our camp people who believe the Bible gender is looked upon with suspicion the differences God-given between man and woman is looked upon with suspicion Well, a denial of gender, a rejection of gender, an attempt to define gender on one's own will not lead to human flourishing. To try to deny that reality will not lead to human flourishing. My point is people need stability. And they don't know about the cornerstone. And who's going to tell them? Who's going to point them to the most important truth of all? It should be us. It should be us. We should engage with people about these issues that are part of our world. Engage, but engagement that points people to the cornerstone. What all of us need, regardless of our sin or misconceptions or errors, all of us need Jesus Christ. And there are going to be people in your path this year that need stability. And you can point them to the cornerstone, the most stable block and rock there is. And you should do it. You should point them to Jesus Christ and his teachings and his way and his salvation that he offers to reconcile the repentant, the faithful to God, those who trust him to God. Another thing, another analogy I've used before is the sexual revolution that we're seeing the fallout of and living in kind of today in 2020, it's going to produce refugees. Refugees from that that are damaged people, some of them disturbed people, and who's going to be there to point them to truth? It needs to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs to be us. We don't just condemn people. We don't just throw rocks at people. We don't just philosophically analyze and criticize people. That's easy to do. We do something about it. And we have the most powerful and profound thing to do about it, the gospel 
which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So point people to the cornerstone. And for us as Christians, in thinking about the stability Christ brings, are you living life? Are you living? Are you living in light of that truth? Is that, if, is that impacting your life? Is Christ truly the cornerstone in your life? Are you relying on Him? Are you building your life, your views, your philosophies, your activities, your plans, your purposes, your goals? Are they built on this cornerstone? Are they built on something like shifting sand? What are they built on? It needs to be built on Christ. He's the cornerstone. And when Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the house, it is a sure house. The house is sure because of who its cornerstone is. And the good news is you can have a sure house, a sure spiritual house through Jesus Christ. Like Isaiah says, like Peter says, trust in him. Trust in him. Trust in him as we pray together. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word, the clear statement of Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. Now, God, I just pray this word would powerfully affect us, that we would build our life on Christ. That, Lord, we'd recognize the wise man and the foolish man. The wise is the one who hears your words and does them, who builds his house on the rock. So, God, I just pray that our house will be built on that foundation and on the rock that is Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. You should turn from your sins today. God is merciful. He's forgiving. He's forgiving to the repentant. He's forgiving to the repentant. The one that's contrite in heart, regardless of your sins, for all of us, they're legion. To the contrite and repentant in heart, he, he gives mercy and forgiveness. And that's any one of us who repent and turn from our sins. You should do that. And you, you turn from your sin to Jesus Christ. To trust him to bring you to God. And as Christians, we recognize him as cornerstone. And now we leave resolved to live for him as cornerstone.